I want to begin our podcast today by asking you a question. Now, I'm going to warn you up front, the question has a little bit of theological depth or thickness to it. So let it sink in. Here's the question. Do you believe that prayer really accomplishes anything? Now, I ask the question because it's one that I myself have been asked repeatedly over my years in ministry. Of course, sometimes it's phrased just a little bit differently. So someone might say to me, hey, tell me this, Pastor Luke, if prayer is supposed to be such a big deal, then why? Why why doesn't God answer mine? Am I praying wrong? Is God mad at me? Is he punishing me? Where is he? And why does he seem so silent? Or how about this one? Pastor Luke, I'm giving up on prayer. You know why? It feels like every time I pray for something good, something bad happens instead. This prayer thing just doesn't work for me. Here's one more. Pastor Luke, how do we know if prayer works? I mean, I I keep looking for signs, but I'm not seeing anything. How do we know if there's anyone out there even listening? And of course, my list could go on and on. So at this episode of God's Eyes Living, we've come to this interesting juncture in the book of Daniel. If you've not been with us over the last several weeks, we've been looking at a prayer that Daniel prays towards the end of his life. So what we've discovered is that the heart of Daniel's prayer is grounded in a confession. David's, excuse me, Daniel's speaking to God on behalf of Israel as a people who are now ready to listen to God. Uh, They, to use last week's title, have hit rock bottom. After 70 years in slavery, Israel is ready to go home. Now, as we near the end of Daniel's prayer, something happens. Uh, It's at the very end of the prayer that Daniel begins to set the needs of Israel before God in the form of petitions or specific asks of God. And as we begin to look at these, this question begins to bubble up. And it's the one that I, I've begun with today. Will Daniel's prayer really change anything? Does prayer change anything? If yes, the question then becomes what? What does prayer change? If no, the question becomes, well, then why pray? So today and over the next two weeks, I want to wrestle with you as we pick up this question. We're going to look at Daniel's prayer, but I also want to bring several other scriptures into what I believe is a much more complex question than meets the eye. Now, I'll tell you, one of the things that really got me thinking into our topic today is, believe it or not, a biography written by former White House correspondent Porter Bibb on Ted Turner. I'm just going to say this up front. I don't think that there's another person on earth that I personally am more different from than the subject of Bibb's work, whether we're talking about faith or social policy or our understanding of the role of the politic in our lives. I probably could not be more different than Ted Turner. Now, that said, I do love to learn. Feed me a good biography and I will eat it up. And this one's good. Though I stand in disagreement with just about everything Ted stands for, I do find him a fascinating study. And I I say that in particular from a scriptural perspective. 
I think what most of us know about Ted Turner has to do with his media empire, his mouth. Ted is not called the mouth from the South for no reason. He, he's forever controversial. And of course, his marriage and subsequent divorce from Jane Fonda of Hollywood fame has also gotten the world's attention. Inarguably, Ted will forever be known as the man who changed cable television news forever. I still remember, I do, when he launched CNN, 1980, television's first 24-hour all-news channel. You know what? Most people didn't think it would work. I, I, I certainly didn't. In, in, in 1980, the idea of a 24-hour news channel seemed absurd. I mean, where, where are you going to find enough news to stay on for 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year? Most of us saw failure. Ted saw a future. Over the years, of course, things have changed significantly. Today, uh, many more of us can imagine television um, and 24-hour and news coverage. In fact, what would it be with without it? Of course, the other thing that's changed within the last decade has been our reliance upon the news as any way neutral. Pointedly, we've stopped trusting it. Just stop trusting the news. But that's for another podcast. What I, what I want to lift up today, as familiar to most of us about Ted Turner, are all of his business successes. He not only launched his news channel, but TNT and TBS, and for some time was the owner of both the Atlanta Hawks and the Atlanta Braves. Additionally, the World Championship Wrestling League. Most people don't know that about Ted. Ted became so synonymous with news that he once stated that his network would not sign off until the end of the world, an event which he claimed his channel would be present for and covering live, just a taste of his sarcastic humor. So I like to say it this way. Most of us know the bright side of Turner's career. But I'm going to ask you this. Do you know the dark side? I remember discovering this at the time Turner divorced Jane Fonda. On the front side, his marriage to her had been both public and controversial. After all, Jane was a controversial figure on the world front herself. When the two were married, it looked to most like a match made in heaven. Uh, the couple were aligned in terms of their views on the world. They were activists fighting for what they deemed to be right. They supported environmental efforts to save the world's ecology along with political moments, movements to the left. And then boom, just like that, Turner announced his divorce. So what happened? Do you know? Why did Turner divorce Jane Fonda, his third wife? Well, what we all found out is that this match made in heaven was being torn apart because of it. Heaven, that is. Jane Fonda had become a Christian. And upon announcing this, Ted went nuts. You see, on the dark side, Turner is not only an unbeliever, but he is an ardent opponent of Christianity. So it makes you wonder, what, what happened to him? Well, what you discover in his, in his biography has to do with two people who were closest to Ted, his father and his sister. It was Ted's father who launched him into business after he was kicked out of Brown University for violating the school's policies regarding sexuality. Daddy owned a significant billboard company, which Ted stepped into, 
in which he would turn into a cash empire. And all of this would happen shortly after his father committed suicide. And that's right, I did say suicide. It devastated him. It devastated Ted. In fact, he couldn't reconcile his father's suicide with the idea of God. If God is loving, how could he allow my father to do this? God should have stopped him, Ted thought. And if, if that wasn't devastating enough, Ted's greatest blow in life would occur at the death of his 17-year-old sister, Mary Jane. Mary Jane suffered from systemic lupus and autoimmune disorder, which left her in pain. And young Ted says that, that he would pray for his sister, believing that God could save her. If God had let him down where his dad was concerned, Ted was willing to give him another chance. And so he prayed, and he prayed, and Mary Jane died. Following his sister's death, Turner named God public enemy number one. He declared that there was no real God, and had there been, his sister would still be alive. Because she was not, Turner postured himself as an enemy of the church, a posture which he retains to this day, and he's not alone. You know, as I, as I read Turner's biography, I was reminded of the fact that our world is full of people who've had similar experiences. They or someone they care for and love have faced some difficulty in life. They've come to God in prayer. They prayed and they prayed and, and nothing, it seems, happens. Worse yet, what does happen stands in direct opposition to what they prayed for. Their conclusion, there is no God. Or if he is, he's not omnipotent. He's impotent. Prayer, it seems to many, is just an illusion. It does not accomplish anything. Or does it? You know, the truth is, when I get into conversations with Christians, Bible-believing followers of Jesus, there are actually mixed feelings regarding the role and particularly the efficacy of prayer in our lives. On the one hand, there are those who militantly argue that prayer is the vehicle of the divine, that prayer done properly can change not only our internal but our external world and its circumstances. Note, those who hold this view range from believing that done right, prayer has the power to heal and even raise people from the dead, all the way to those who believe that dependent upon the circumstance, prayer may or may not result in the action called for on the part of the petitioner. Well, then there are those within Christendom who believe that prayer does not accomplish anything external to us. They would say God is sovereign, and as such, he has already determined, really the word, the word is probably more correctly predetermined, the whole of history from beginning to end. These believers would say that what might seem to be God's fulfillment of a prayer or his denial of such has nothing to do with the prayer at all, but it is rather tied to his plan from before eternity. This particular theological camp does not encourage people to stop praying but they would simply suggest prayer is not efficacious. That is, it does not actually accomplish anything external to the prayer. So let me ask you this. Who, who's right? Certainly not Ted, whose views on prayer are skewed by personal pain. I'm going to add to the point of a radical posture of opposition. So what about the camp that says, nope, prayer accomplishes a great deal? 
the efficacious camp. Those who say that done correctly, prayer has the power to externally change things. Is prayer God's vehicle towards the external change of reality? If so, what does it actually mean to say, pray correctly? Does God only work through prayers that are correctly prayed? Well, what happens to the prayers that are not correctly prayed? Again, does prayer change things? Or is maybe the sovereign camp right? Has God so ordered history that our prayers are simple formalities? God has already determined the course of events, no matter our prayers. Is prayer then simply a tool for doing something internally within the believer? Or is there a better view? What is the answer to the question? Does prayer change anything at all? To get the Bible's answer to this question, I think it's important to note that there are a handful of scriptures that are used really by all of the different camps to support their understanding of the role and place of prayer in our lives. First, there are in the Bible some scriptures that clearly attest to the fact that prayer does indeed accomplish something. There is an efficacy to prayer. I don't think that can be questioned. What can be questioned, however, based upon scripture, is the extent of prayer's efficacy. The question to be answered is, does prayer accomplish only that which is internal? In other words, does prayer change only the prayer? Or does scripture demonstrate an external aspect of efficiency? In other words, does prayer change the world? Does it change people? Does it change circumstances? Those that surround us. Bottom line, the real question is not, does prayer change anything, but what does it change? Secondly, there are in the Bible scriptures that clearly attest to the fact that prayer does not change God. I want you to hear that. Well, to be sure, there, there's instances in which a scripture seems to indicate from a human perspective points in time in which God seems to change his intent, read mind, based upon men's prayers. However, I, I really believe that closer examination of these scriptures, coupled with the hermeneutical principle that scripture cannot contradict scripture, reveals that in such instances, God is acting according to his immutable will. That is to say that throughout the scriptures, God's will doesn't ever change. I'll come to an example of this as we continue our study. And finally, there are scriptures that indicate that there are right and wrong ways to pray. Now, please hear me on this. The scriptures do tell us that there are prayers that God does not respond to. A clear example of this would be prayers issued in the name of Allah, because Allah is a false construct created by men and not God at all. No, no response should be expected where such prayers are concerned. This said, God's response to prayers made in his name are not made effective by the method or works of the prayer. No doubt, one of the greatest abuses of prayer in the church today is that of burdening Christians with the belief that their own failure or lack of method and works is the cause of God's non-responsiveness. This position, of course, causes the efficacy of prayer to rest primarily on the prayer rather than the will of God. It stands as such in contradiction to scripture. So 
Here, here's what I like to do. Before coming to the petitions that make up the prayer of Daniel chapter 9, I want to examine several scriptures as they relate to these three categories. Again, the categories are, number one, scriptures that demonstrate that prayer does accomplish something. It does. Number two, scriptures that point to what God does change through prayer, given that prayer does not change him, God. And then number three, scriptures that do suggest that there are prayers that God will not respond to. So here's my plan. In the time that we have, again, over the next two weeks, I want to take on our first category. Specifically, I want to look at James chapter 5, a scripture that demonstrates that prayer is inarguably efficacious. It accomplishes something. The following week, then, we'll continue with a look at two more scriptures that I believe point to the fact that prayer does not change God or his will. Those scriptures are Numbers 23 and Ephesians chapter 1. Additionally, we'll look at one more scripture in the book of James, James chapter 1, that reminds us of the fact that there are prayers that God will not respond to. This foundation will lead us back into Daniel 9, where we witness the petitions of Daniel on behalf of Israel. Well, I want to stop there for this week, and we'll dig back in next week. Uh, I really thank you for listening. I, this is going to be a little bit thicker stuff, but I think prayer is so essential to our lives that we really want to go there. We really want to get a handle on it. What is prayer accomplishing, given the fact that it does not ever really change God or his will? What is it accomplishing? Listen, I'm going to be praying for your family this week. I ask that you pray for mine. And until we meet again next week, have a God-sized week.